right? Um, We are going to be talking about something today that usually breeds a whole lot of guilt in people, okay? In fact, I would actually say that what we are talking about today tends to breed more guilt in people than almost any other topic in Scripture, are like, oh, great. (laughs) What a great way to start a sermon off, right? Uh, What we're going to be talking about today is prayer, okay? And here's why I think that, why I think, you know, I'm sure some of you are like, whew, okay, good job. Like, right, we're thinking about sin, stuff like that. But I really genuinely think that prayer tends to be where we feel a ton of guilt. Um, How many of you frequently think, man, I, I really need to pray more or I should be praying more? How many of you tend to think that? Okay, now, okay, wait, keep your hand, look, y'all like, oh, me, okay, look, keep your hands up. I want you to raise them high, okay? I want you to look around the room real quick, all right? I want you to look around the room, and I want you to see that 90, maybe a little bit more percent of people tend to feel like, oh, I need to be praying more. Paul really feels it. His hand's still up, all right? Okay, um, <laughs> thanks, thank you. <laughs> um, okay, now, how many of you, okay, once again, hands, okay, how many of you after thinking, man, I, I really need to pray more, I, I, I should be more diligent in prayer, I should give up things, I should, I should pray, how many of you two months after thinking that end up praying a whole lot more? Raise your hands. Okay, no but a half hand is what we saw, all right? So pretty much one out of 200 people are motivated by guilt because that's what that is. I feel guilty for not praying. And so I think I really should be doing that more. I have the ear of the Lord at my hands. I I really need to be praying more. And then a month later, we're still not very prayerful people often. And so it's clear that guilt doesn't really motivate us into prayer. And so here's what I want to do today. I hope that in today's sermon, we will actually at least a little bit begin to remove the burden of guilt off of you some and actually give us the motivation of Christ and what he said we should be thinking about when we uh, breach the topic of prayer, okay? And so here's the interesting thing. This is actually the third time in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus mentions prayer. When you mention something over and over and over again, you want the person to get it, right? Like that's what advertising is. It just says the same thing over and over and over again. The first time the commercial was funny, the second time you smiled, the 15th time you're kind of tired of seeing it, the 98th time you're like, okay, good night. Can they make another one, right? But you begin to remember what's going on. So Jesus in one sermon, even though he's kind of dodging and jumping around topics a little bit, over and over and over again mentions prayer. Apparently, this is something that's important to Jesus, and he wants it to be important to us. And so we're going to read the whole text, all right, and then we're going to uh, kind of chop it up a little bit. So Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 7 through 11. It says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if he has a son, ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who 
ask him. There's a ton of truths kind of packed into this, and so we'll break them down a bunch today. But I want to start off with something a little bit random, okay? As I was reading this uh, this week, uh, and as I was preparing the sermon, I was in a coffee shop, and I literally laughed out loud, okay? I LOL'd, all right? And so I'm like reading this, and I started laughing. The guy next to me looked at me like I was psycho because I was reading the Bible and laughing, <laughs> which apparently people don't associate those two, which made me laugh even more because I thought he probably thinks I'm crazy, right? So I'm reading this, and I'm laughing. Okay, uh, and I would actually say that that's actually to some extent a really important piece, particularly for some of us in this room to understand that Jesus was a funny guy. All right, like like he was a really funny guy, and I think for some of us who are kind of wrestling with God, maybe even trying to figure out, hey, who is God? What 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 is this God like? Like this is actually an important point for us, though it may seem like a side point, is that Jesus is actually a very relatable person, and one of the things that he's relatable in is humor. The fact that you have humor is because God has humor; it's from God. You were created in the image of God. Laughter isn't a part of the fall. Let's put it like that, okay? Like the fall didn't come and we were like, oh, we're cursed with laughter now, right? <laughs> like, like this is actually part of the kingdom. And so he's not just a sterile God in heaven who's kind of waiting for you to mess up so that he can smite you and then laugh facetiously at you, right? Like that's not the, the humor of God. God is actually a funny God. In fact, if you read the scriptures in Hebrew or Greek, you'll see over and over and over again, there are all these little like jokes that are kind of uh, planted in throughout to show um, God. So last week, Jesus used this imagery or this metaphor of a log or a plank in the eye, right? And uh, Brad Laws, or as he was coined during the week, the white Tory Mayo, okay? Uh, he had, it's okay to laugh at that. All right, sorry. Um, he had uh, a little plank, right? And he kind of ran down and was running around and it was funny looking, right? Like it looked ridiculous is what it looked like. And remember, Jesus is talking to a people who are very uh, used to storytelling. And so they imagine things a lot better than our culture probably does. So when Jesus says, imagine a log in somebody's eye, like people probably would have laughed at that. Okay. And so then when he goes into this, he goes into this metaphor this week, when a father, uh, a son asked the father for bread, will he give him a stone? And people probably kind of smiled at that, right? Like you think about the ridiculous nature of that. Okay. Daddy, can I have some bread, please? I'm hungry. Here you go, son. <laughs> right? Like, that's ridiculous, right? Like, that's a silly thought. And so Jesus probably is using a little bit of humor to kind of push a point through, which is important for us to see. Jesus is a relatable person. He's funny. Okay? But he makes a really, really good point. And that's point one for today. It's that God likes to give good gifts to his children. That's point one. God likes to give good gifts to his children. I didn't put this as point two, okay, so this one won't be on the screen, but you can almost uh, apply this as well, is that uh, it's okay to ask God of things. God likes to give good gifts to his children, and it's okay to ask God of things. I love when my kids ask me for things. Like, I genuinely do. Like, like I love when Micaiah comes and asks me for something. When Micaiah comes and asks me for candy or to watch a TV show or to play with her or whatever it may be, I don't look at her and go, you dumb little girl. How about you go fetch it yourself, right? Like, that's never been my heart at all, okay? Now, we laugh and we think it's funny, but how come we think that God is like that with us? I mean, isn't that some of our hearts sometimes? We ask of God and we're kind of like, ah, 
I don't know if I should be asking this. Uh, I don't know. Like, how is the God of the universe who has all these problems in the world? Look at what's going on in the world. How can he care for me? And we tend to kind of think that God's looking at us like, look, bro, just get it together. All right, stop asking for this. And that tends to be, to some extent, why do we place that on God? When we, as, look at what he said, evil parents, he called us. He said that I'm an evil man, yet I delight to give good gifts to my children. How much more the Father in heaven? Like, like it's not that me as a father represents God. It's that God is the true father, and anytime I do something good, I'm actually representing him. It's part of my imago Dei, the image of God in me. That's a natural output of who God is. Like, God is a good God who loves to give good gifts to his children. It's okay to ask him of things. Why are we afraid to go to God? Why do we have this fear? Why do we have this misconception that God is in heaven kind of removed from us? Look at some of these verses here. In Revelation chapter 8, starting in verse 3, it says this. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. Listen, on the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. The prayers were like incense to God. They were this sweet aroma to God. We poured out our prayers. They went to the throne room of God, and then they were a sweet aroma to God. It was almost like us offering incense before him. This is an intimate thing. God loves when we pray. Or Old Testament example, go to Psalm 141 verse 2. It says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Our prayers are sweet to God, like a sacrifice even to God. So just as I never say you dumb little girl to Micaiah, because that's an absurd thing. So God never says that to us. In fact, they are incense. Now, sometimes though, what does happen is Micaiah asks for something and I don't say you dumb little girl, right? But I do say, no, not right now. And then she looks at me like you dumb grown adult man, (laughs) right? Like that tends to happen sometimes. And I think that sometimes that's how our response is to God too, okay? God sometimes says no, and we go, what are you doing, bro? Right? And we may not use that exact language, but our heart kind of feels that because we are like a three-year-old who kind of throws these temper tantrums and fits when we don't get what we want because we can't see the whole picture. So she gets angry at my no, and she thinks that I'm not good. But we know that every time I say no, I'm not just trying to throw a snake at her and spider, right? Like, like I'm trying to give her good gifts. So this verse does not tell us that God will give us whatever we want. If you ask for anything, God will give you anything you want, okay? That's not what this says. Notice it says he gives good gifts to his children. Emphasis on the term good. God gives good gifts to his children. If I ask for bread and I need bread, guess what he'll give me? Bread. Okay, but if I ask for a snake thinking that it's fish, he's not going to give me a snake. Okay, this week is a really easy example because it was Halloween. And so we went trick-or-treating and had a good time. And sometimes you just know, like I knew we gave Micaiah some candy because we're good parents that give good gifts to our kids, all right? And then she asked for more. If it were up to Micaiah, she would have consumed all of her work of trick-or-treating that night, all right? And so we said, no, you can't have any more. And then we had a fit, okay? And then there was kicking and screaming and freaking out. And then she kicked me in the throat at one point, okay? And then I beat her. 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> I say that too much. That's a joke, all right? That's not real. Some of y'all think that's true, right? But no, like, like that's not like, like, I know I'm giving a good gift to Micaiah. Hey, here's something that's good for you, but you can't have it all. That's not good for you, okay? And so the second point, God loves to give good gifts to his children, but we have to believe that God is a good father who gives good gifts. This is important here, so don't miss me on this, okay? He's a good father who gives good gifts. In Genesis chapter three, when the serpent comes to Eve, he gives her two lies that we've been believing all throughout the rest of human history. There are only really two lies that we uh, believe. They just take different forms. One of them is that you are God or you're better than God or, 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 or God's not good. And the other one is that he's withholding from you. God's not giving you good things. There's, there's something more. So he goes to Eve. Did God really say that? Like, aren't you smarter than God? Like, can't you see what's going on? No, God wants to withhold from you. If you eat this, he knows you'll be like him. And that tempts her. You'll be like God, and he's withholding from you. So we have to believe Jesus, in a lot of ways, is kind of counteracting these lies that were given in Genesis 3. We have to believe that God is good, and that he gives good gifts to his children, and he knows what is good for us. God isn't a genie where we rub the lamp and then boom, we get whatever we want. He gives good gifts. If I asked right now for 300 pounds of chocolate, delivered at noon, 12 kittens, and a motorcycle because those first two weren't very manly, okay? <laughs> like, would I get that, all right? No, probably not because 300 pounds of chocolate is unhealthy for me. I don't even care about kittens, so I'd probably neglect them and they would die and that's not good for creation, all right? And the motorcycle, maybe that's in God's will, I don't know. But God isn't just this like cosmic genie that whatever we ask for, boom, we get, right? Like, no, God is a good God who gives good gifts to his children, and we have to understand that. Even more in this irony, God is both sovereign, listen, but at the exact same time, our requests to God actually move the hand of God to some extent. Like, that's a profound mystery, okay? In fact, Tim Keller says this. He says, how he, God, does this, how he maintains control of history and yet still makes human prayer and action responsible within history is one of the most practical mysteries of the Bible. The teaching that our prayers matter, we have not because we ask not, and yes, God's wise plan is sovereign and infallible. These two factors are true at once, and how that is possible is a mystery to us. If we believe that God was in charge of our, and our actions meant nothing, it would lead to discouraged passivity. If on the other hand, we really believe that our actions change God's plan, it would lead to paralyzing fear. If both are true, however, we have the greatest incentive for diligent effort, and yet we can always sense God's everlasting arms around us. Even more, I like what uh, Alec Motier says. He says, If it were the case that whatever we ask, God was pledged to give, then I, for one, would never pray again. Because I would not have sufficient confidence in my own wisdom to ask God for anything. And I think if you consider it, you will agree. It would impose an intolerable burden on frail human wisdom if by his prayer promises, God was pledged to give whatever we ask, when we ask it, and exactly the terms we ask, how could we bear the burden? Right? I love this thought here. God is both in control, yet at the same time, our, hand, our, our prayers does move the hand of God. How do those two collide or, or, or uh, 
coexist, sorry, at the exact same time? I don't know. And neither does anybody else. But scripture makes both of them very, very true. However, I say all this to say, and to uh, once again, as we're talking about this, to pull back and remind us that guilt is not a good motivation for prayer. Because even right now, while we say that, what our heart wants to do is it wants to say, oh gosh, that's true. I need to pray more right? I should go do this, man. Matter of fact, today, I'm not going to go home and watch Netflix. I'm going to pray. And then you get home and you watch Netflix and you feel bad and then you feel like a sinner. And then what do you do, right? Like that's how it happens. I don't want us to be motivated by guilt, nor does Jesus here. He wants us to be motivated by the fact that God loves us. Jesus doesn't jump into this section on prayer and say, now you should be praying. You know that. Think about how big God is. Think about what this does. Now go pray more, right? That's not what Jesus says here. That's not how he responds to us. Just give up Facebook and Netflix and you'll pray more, I promise. Right? That's not Jesus' promise here. Okay. But that we would think of God as being good, that we would think of him as a good father who gives good gifts, who wants to respond to us in those prayers, that would actually be our motivator. What Jesus does is he implores us on the goodness of the father. He even uses an example that all of us can understand. It's kind of ironic and maybe even a little bit sovereign that we have all these parents up here today with these kids. We all know whether we have kids or not that these parents aren't going to just purposely try to destroy their kids, right? Like like they're good parents. They want to give good gifts. Aren't you children of God? Doesn't he want to give you good gifts? Isn't that part of his plan for you? If he is the ultimate father, the better father, if I am an evil father compared to the goodness of our God, doesn't he want to give good things? This is what he's trying to motivate us in. He's now your daddy if you believe in Jesus. You have entered into this familial relationship. Once again, God implores, Jesus implores the imagery of family here. He doesn't just call him God and then leave him as this kind of distant cosmic being. He calls him father daddy. And if you go to your daddy and ask things of him, doesn't he want to give those to you? Even when he has to say no, doesn't he still kind of want to give those things to you at times? Like I know I do. Like when Micaiah asked for candy, I kind of want to give her more. I just know better that it's not good for her, right? And so God, even in his uh, uh, nose to you, probably feels this benevolence, feels this desire to, to please you, to make you feel loved. He wants you to know that he loves you. And this is what Satan is trying to destroy in us. God doesn't love you. You should feel guilty for not praying. Shouldn't you be doing this? Shouldn't you be? That's what the serpent told Eve. Like, didn't God say this? Aren't you doing this? Doesn't, and he's trying to get us to confuse us. No, Jesus implores us on the very simple idea that God loves you. Our hearts just have a hard time believing that. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see here today. Now, here's what often happens with prayer, okay? We take these prayer promises that Jesus gives and we turn them into prayer problems, right? Are are y'all tracking with that? Does that make sense? Uh, like, Like we say things like, does this mean that I can ask for whatever I want, which we kind of already tackled today, right? Like, does this mean I can just say whatever we want and we see passages like this and go, wait a minute, how does this make sense? Like, like how does this coexist? Or, or why should I pray if, if God already knows what I'm gonna say? If he already knows what I need, like, like why should I even pray? And we get into all these philosophical problems. So we take the promises of God, that God is good and wants to give good gifts to his children and we turn them into problems to be figured out. We turn God from a, relatable being who wants a relationship with us to a math problem to be figured out. God's not a math problem. He's a person 
who wants intimacy with his friends, with his children, with those whom he loves. Now, it's not wrong to ask those questions. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, uh, other places in scripture, it actually answers those prayer problems at times. It says, hey, here's how these two things coexist at the same time. But right here, Jesus isn't giving us that. He just says, God is good. (laughs) He wants to give you good things. Pray and ask of God. God likes it when we pray. He welcomes us in when we pray. He gives good gifts to his children. Though he's sovereign, he even implores us to pray. Jesus is even being really repetitive, even in this. Do you see that? He says, ask, seek, knock. Those are kind of the same thing, right? Like ask, seek, knock. And then once again, in the very next verse, in case we didn't get it, he says it again. Ask, seek, knock. Like Jesus is trying to show us, look, it's okay to go to God. It's okay to ask things of him because God is a good dad who loves to give good gifts to his children. Even when we don't fully understand what the will of God is, even when we don't even know what to ask for, he still wants us into that relationship. Even when he says no to us, there's still intimacy to be had because we get to go into the presence of God and talk to the God of the universe. And sometimes he talks back to us and helps us see how to live life or how to love others or how to be peaceful in the midst of chaos or whatever it may be. And so sometimes what happens, we just get discouraged and we pray less. We pray, ask God for something. God doesn't give it to us. And we take these prayer promises and turn it into a prayer problem. You tracking with me? And so we say, well, God isn't answering me. Like, why should I pray? That's because we're not believing in the goodness of the father. He gives good gifts to his children. We have to believe that. We have to see that. Let me give you a personal example of even right now. Right now, we've been looking for an executive pastor for how long? A long time, okay? Too long, okay? And we've been looking and looking and looking. Ever since we knew we would send Bob, actually, we began to look for this role. So we're talking about over a year where we've been at least somewhat considering, hey, who are we going to bring on? Man, I've prayed for this over and over and over again. I've fasted for these things more than once, asking God, imploring God, God, please show us the right person. Please show us what you're going to do. Help us to see. And to date, God hasn't answered that. We brought somebody in thinking it'd be the guy. That didn't work out. Brought another three people in thinking, oh, maybe them. That didn't work out. And I don't know what God is doing in the midst of this right now. I can hypothesize, right? I can say, well, well, maybe God is just like waiting and he's putting something on somebody's heart and then when the time comes to be he'll he'll stir it up in them and then boom we'll get the person right but that's what we tend to do we hypothesize what God is doing and once again that's not wrong as long as we're not trusting in those hypotheses versus the goodness of God maybe what God is doing is he's just trying to draw me in closer to himself wouldn't that be good of him to do I can promise this over the last eight months I've prayed to God more than I did the eight months prior to that because I'm kind of in need right now, right? When Micaiah's hungry, she talks to me more, okay? (laughs) Maybe, maybe God in his goodness is just drawing me in. Listen, friends, I welcome that because I know what intimacy with my father feels like. That's what I want. And so who knows what God is doing, but we can't take these uh, uh, prayer promises and turn them into problems. We have to believe in the goodness of God. That's what Jesus is imploring us. Let me tell you another prayer that I prayed. This may sound weird, but just trying to be honest with you, okay? Today, the whole week, what I was praying was, 
God, would you bring somebody into church today who doesn't know who you are and in the middle of the sermon be working in their hearts that they may come to know you, that they may come into relationship with you? I just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that all week. The prayer team got together before service, and I prayed that again, that God would draw somebody to himself. And so here's what I know, and I can say this with confidence. Maybe God's been working on your heart for the past year, or maybe you came in here today confused as to why you were even coming, and maybe during worship or during the sermon or whatever it may be, you felt God working in your heart. I believe that that was God answering me and many other prayer requests from a long time ago, like God is good like that. He wants to respond. And so listen, you can pray these big things. It's okay to ask God. God wants to give good gifts to his children and salvation is a dang good gift. I long for intimacy for you and God that you would know him. So I pray and I seek God for that. Now, if I go away today and and nobody enters into a relationship with Jesus, like he's good, okay? I don't have to allow the enemy to, to trick me and to make me think, oh, he's not good. Like, no, he's good. But we have to ask God, we have to trust that he's good and he gives good gifts, okay? Guilt isn't a good motivator for us. God's love is a good motivator for us. Now, here's how we can know this. I want to wind us down with this. Isn't Jesus our perfect example of this? I want you to think about Jesus's life here. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you're familiar with scripture, what did he pray out to God? He said, God, if there's any other way, If there's any other way, I want you to take this cup from me, remove it off of me, but not my will, but yours. Now listen to me, okay, because this is really important. Didn't Jesus know the will of God? If you know the gospels, you know that Jesus prophesied about his death over 40 times in the gospels. He knew what he was on earth for. He knew that he was going to die on a cross. He said it over and over and over again. In fact, six seconds before he prayed this prayer, he told his disciples, I know what's gonna happen to me. This is emotionally distraught for me. I I, I can't get this out of my mind, but I must do the father's will. He knew what the father's will was, yet asked of God anyway. Isn't that fascinating? Maybe it's because Jesus just loved intimacy that was to be had with the Father. Maybe he knew that even though God would say, no, son, there is no other way. And he already literally knew that. He prophesied about that. He still prayed to God. So Jesus is our example that it's okay to go and ask things of God. It's okay to ask him of things and to seek him. We just have to believe that God is good like Jesus did. Because when God said no, he didn't go, well, God, your plan's stupid, right? Like, no, he went through with that plan because he knew the goodness of God. He he trusted the goodness of God. But it was that very goodness of God that motivated Jesus to pray in the first place. So Jesus is our example. Even more than our example, though, he's also our fulfillment. And what I mean by that is that Jesus is the one who went onto the cross and screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happens at that moment? What happens is that God turns his face from his son and pours out his wrath onto his son. Why? So that you and I who deserve that can actually receive Christ's righteousness. Here's what it looks like in prayer. God should not listen to our prayers. Like that, that's just plain and simple, right? We are not good people naturally. We don't do the will of God. Matter of fact, we war against God over and over and over again. And even when we try to be good, we kind of mess up and, and stumble and fail. Like, like why should God listen to our prayers? It's because he turned his face on his son so that you may now forever have the ear of God. Friends, this is the gospel. 
The gospel tells us that though you are unworthy to have the God of the universe listening to you, he will never forsake you. Now, in fact, the rest of the New Testament goes on and says, you can go into the throne room with confidence now, boldly asking things of God because you have a high priest in Jesus and a good father. They knew what they were doing. Jesus didn't do that uh, unwillingly. It says that he willingly laid down his life that you may come into the presence of God. And part of that is prayer. God loves you, friends. Like Jesus loves you. He sacrifices. He faces the wrath that you may have freedom. This is the goodness of our God. This is what Jesus is trying to implore in us in the Sermon on the Mount. God's good. He gives you good gifts. Listen, friends, if God gave you the good gift of his son, why would he withhold anything else from you? He already gave you the craziest thing on earth. Here's why I say it's crazy. Because which of us in here today would be praying and say, you know what, God, I'm sinful. I know that. I don't have righteousness on my own. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to send down your son and I want you to kill him. I want you to take all of my sins and put them onto him. I want you to crucify him. I want you to make him face your wrath so that I can be free. Who would pray a prayer like that? Except that's exactly what the gospel says happened. We wouldn't even pray something as absurd as that. So God just gave it to us because he's good. And now he wants to give us all things. Like this is unbelievable. This is the goodness of God. God loves you. God wants to give good gifts to his children, and we can ask of him these things. So here's what I want to do today. I want to actually end, okay, with this. On your seats or under your chairs or whatever, um, you pulled out, or, or we also put on one of these. 